Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're wrapping up our month of updated classics by adding an unexpected ingredient to an old standard. Will it be a new favorite? Next up, are you worried you can't have your donuts and eat your muffins too? Have no fear, we've got you covered with a dessert that combines the best of both worlds that will have you rolling in the dough. And finally, we'll help make your next bake sale a resounding success with some bona fide sweet treats. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we have lots of things in common. We both have birthdays in November, but our husbands also have birthdays in September. Oh, yes. We have Virgos in our life. (laughs) We do indeed. And I know that we made the peanut butter poke cake for your husband's birthday earlier in the month. Yes. Huge success. So my husband's birthday is coming and he has requested our family's favorite triple layer chocolate Guinness cake. I may have talked about this on the show before. I've been making it for years and years. Yes. I think you've eaten it too. I was just going to say, I know you've previously talked about it on the show and I believe it was his birthday request. And then one of the times when I visited you, I don't know if you mm-hmm. made it for me or if you had made it for something else, but there was certainly some left over and I was able to taste this moist, delicious, totally <laughs> over the top cake. It was so good. Of course I made it for you. <laughs> But other guests who might be listening don't expect that. All right. (laughs) Yes. So it is a cake and a half. It takes a whole pound of butter, a whole pound of, uh, well, a whole pint of Guinness. So it's a really big, big Mm -hmm. cake. And I started to get a little panicky just looking at the week I was having and thinking, where am I going to fit in making this cake? And I was so proud of myself because I realized I do not have to do this all on one day. Right. Be your own sous chef. We've done many segments about it in the past. We often talk about it. It was a really good reminder. So the first day I prepared my pans and you do line them with parchment. So I cut out my parchment and had those all ready to go. I measured out my cocoa powder. I measured out all of my dry ingredients. I measured out my sour cream, my wet ingredients, stuck those in the fridge. Oh, wow. So when it actually came time to putting this together, it was very quick because everything was there. I cooked them. They are cooling, and I will frost them tomorrow, and away we'll go. So it's just a good reminder. It was a good reminder to me. I offer it as a reminder to listeners. If you have a recipe like that that's feeling overwhelming, remember, you know, take a look. Can you break it down into pieces? Because often you can. Yeah, and that phrase you used of be your own sous chef, I think, is what I'll stick in my head as a good reminder. Like, what would I give someone else to do, and how can I do that for myself? Yeah, good point. And just to have everything ready like you're on a cooking show. Yeah. It's all ready. All you do is reach. Everything's (laughs) measured. Everything's ready to go. It's so helpful and super speedy. Yeah, great idea. Well, I am sure your husband will be thrilled with his annual pound of butter chocolate cake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all thrilled. Let's well, be honest. Yeah, let's be honest. You're you're doing it for him, but there is that mm-hmm, unexpected mm-hmm. side bonus of sharing in that delicious cake. Uh, speaking of cake, 
I am going to throw out a little mini language lab at you up here at the top of the show. Yes, love the language lab. Love the language lab. This is where Stefan and I explore a word that is new to us, and I actually came across two this week, so it was very exciting. Bonus. The first word is jaconde, and it's spelled J-O-C-O-N-D-E. Jaconde. And I saw this on a post from my favorite bakery here in Olympia, the Left Bank Pastry, and it was a post of an opera cake, and Mm. it said... You know, we made this beautiful opera cake with the lovely jaconde, and I thought, what on earth is that? So I looked it up, and it is a derivation of a sponge cake, a little bit different in that it typically has an almond flavor, and it also typically uses whole eggs and not just egg whites. So okay. that that was a new word for me. Had you ever heard of a jaconde before, Stefan? I have not heard of that. And I'm not entirely sure I know what an opera cake is. Is that the one that has all of the layers? It did. Yeah, it looked okay. like it had okay. just beautiful layers of that sponge cake and then chocolate. Yeah, it was absolutely gorgeous. So it's going to be a chocolate almond flavor going on there. That sounds delightful. Yeah. I should have looked up why it's called an opera cake. Let's bookmark that. We'll find out later. Or maybe one of our listeners knows. I'm sure. Yes. Let us know, guys. (laughs) The second word, and I apologize if I'm butchering both of these, but it is a pisoladieri. And this was a recipe that was in the Bread Toast Crumbs cookbook that was given to us by the delightful Alexandra Stafford. Yay. And I had bookmarked this recipe, I don't know, when we got that cookbook, which was, what, a year or two ago. Yeah. For some reason, I just had never gotten around to making it. But at the beginning of the summer, my slow food group offered tomatoes to people who wanted to take them home, tomato starter plants. And I I got these four variety of tomatoes that I had never tried to grow before. And I pulled the little sticks out. So unfortunately, I don't remember what they were. But yeah, they were really beautiful. And they were doing well. And they lasted well into September. And so at the end of the month, what you do is you take the tomatoes that you grow and you bring an item to the slow food potluck using the tomatoes. That's a great idea. Does everyone grow tomatoes or do you have people growing different things? The idea was that everyone grew tomatoes. That's what they gave away. Although, you know, some of them were very different. Like, for example, one lady, it was purple tomatillas. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So she made – I love that idea. Yeah. She made this really great roasted tomatilla type thing that was really good. But the pisoladieri is a dough kind of like a – almost like a focaccia dough or a pizza dough. And then you put on a paste of – olive oil, garlic, anchovies, and capers, and then you spread black olives and the tomatoes all over the top and bake it. And it is so good. I couldn't believe it. And I looked it up because I thought, this is just so good. How do I not know about this? Yeah, Yeah. And it's an item that originated in Nice in the south of France. And they said that typically people would make this Um, item in the mornings because it can sit out all day. It can be eaten warm. It can be eaten room temperature. It can be eaten cold. And it's typically got the bread dough, which is thicker than a margarita pizza was how they described it. And then with the caramelized onions, the olives, and the anchovies, and of course, I added the tomatoes. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that delicious recipe. And thanks, Alexandra Stafford, for teaching me a new word, pisoladieri. 
And, you know, Andrea, speaking of Language Lab, we are going to be popping back into Language Lab next month in October for a longer segment on unusually named desserts. We've kind of talked about this a little bit throughout the summer now with your mini segment today. So be ears open for that, which is coming up in October. Yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to that. Andrea, this week we baked a pineapple coconut curry loaf for a new twist on an old classic tea loaf or kind of a simple cake that you would make in a loaf pan. This had the addition of a teaspoon of curry powder as well as some crushed pineapple, sour cream, and sweetened flaked coconut. Andrea seemed pretty straightforward with these ingredients and the instructions. Let us know how it went for you. Yeah, this turned out really well for me. It was fairly easy. It's basically a one-bowl dessert, um, you know, except for the fact that you have to melt your butter, so you'll have a pot for that or perhaps a bowl in your microwave. But otherwise, you don't have to use an appliance, which you know I love. Once you have melted your butter, you're going to whisk in that pineapple and the sour cream. Now, last week, we discussed what to do if you couldn't find a can of crushed pineapple in the grocery store. I was able to find a can of crushed pineapple. And the recipe instructions say to drain it. So I did take that whole can and put it in a fine mesh sieve and drain it over a cup. And I want to say, thank goodness I didn't skip this step because I ended up with a cup and a half of juice from that one can of crushed pineapple. That sounds exactly the same as my experience. And I couldn't find the crushed. So I just blitzed up the rings in my food processor, kept the juice, also drained it, and easily had a nice size amount. I know because my daughter dearly loves pineapple juice and was thrilled to be able to drink that. I know. Same thing here at my house. (laughs) I was like, ooh, how can we have pineapple juice? (laughs) So exotic. So I think that's really important, though. You know, that would be, if you skip that step, a whole cup of liquid in a bread that wasn't intending to have Uh -uh. it, that could be a real disaster. Yeah, absolutely. I like to pat myself on the back when I follow an instruction. Very good. (laughs) And and things work out well. Um, So once you've added that drained crushed pineapple and the sour cream, then you add in your sugar, eggs, salt, curry powder, and vanilla. I used similar to what you called last week an everyday curry powder. I just sniffed a couple of my different bottles and went with the one that had some depth of flavor, some real robustness, kind of that smoky flavor you talked about. But I tasted it and it wasn't, you know, tingly, spicy, heat hot, spicy. Yeah, it's exactly what I did. I also just really like the vibrant yellow, which we'll talk about in a minute with the finished product and thought it worked really well. If you wanted to add spice, you know, I think that would be an okay place to do it. But I'm glad I went with this, this more middle-of-the-road one. Yeah. Once you have whisked those items until smooth, you add in the flour and the baking powder, and then you stir in a cup of that sweetened flaked coconut, pour it into your pan, and then you sprinkle the remaining third a cup of coconut on top. Yeah. The next instruction is to bake for 30 minutes, and Stefan, last week we talked about the fact that both of us were a bit nervous about that (laughs) coconut burning. Yes. Before the 30-minute mark. So how did you compensate for that? Yeah, I was eagle-eyed on my oven because in my experience, coconut has burned so fast. Indeed, after seven minutes, I was very pleased with how brown my coconut already was. So I put the foil on that early, only seven minutes in. Did it take you much longer than that, Andrea? Interesting, it did. Okay. They said to cover it with foil at 30 minutes, so I set my timer for 20. And when I looked at it at 20, the coconut around the edges was brown, but the ones in the middle were still quite white. So I thought, no, I want it to keep going. 
I turned around, did something, and I turned back around at 22 minutes, and it was already all brown. Yes. I was like, oh, my gosh, just that two minutes. So you covered yours with foil at seven minutes. I covered mine with foil at 22 minutes. I think the main point here is don't wait for the 30-minute mark, or else you might end up with burned coconut. Right, absolutely. And reminder to listeners that my oven is a convection oven, so that does speed up the process sometimes, and I guess that's maybe what happened here. But yeah, having Mm -hmm. gone 30 minutes would have been a disaster here. Yeah, good point. It then tells you to bake for another 25 minutes until a pick inserted in the center comes out clean. So... For the 30 minutes plus 25 minutes, that's 55 minutes. I tested mine at that point. It was still wet all over. I mean, I could even tell when I sort of slid it out of the oven to put the pick in. It was it was pretty jiggly. Okay. I set the timer for 10 more minutes. I tested it again. So now we're at 65 minutes of bake time. It was still wet in the middle, although now the edges were set. I set the timer for another 10 minutes, and 75 minutes was the magic mark for me. That's when my tester came out clean, and I pulled it. And then, Andrea, last week we talked about the difference in size. You recently have purchased a smaller size loaf, but this called for a 9 by 5 Did you go ahead and use your new pan here? I did use my new smaller pan, so I still don't have a pan that's exactly the size called for in the recipe. I mean, I think I would have a loaf pan library if I (laughs) bought the appropriate pan size for every recipe. I have an eight by four and a half, or I have a nine and a half by five and a half. Okay. So I went with the eight by four and a half because they called for a nine by five, and I thought it would be fun if it kind of overflowed a little bit or had that high crown. I was going to pull some batter if I thought that I was filling it too much, but I actually thought it worked out quite well. And I talked last week about doing some minis, and indeed I did three minis. My cook time on those was a little bit less. I did the first initial 30 minutes, although I covered them right away at about the seven-minute mark, and then I went on an additional 20 I also put the mini loaf pans on a baking sheet, and I sometimes think that Mm. helps to speed up the cooking as well. So that might be why my total bake time was only 50 minutes for three minis. Yeah, I always put anything mini on a pan just also for the ease of pulling in and out. I mean, otherwise you've got your oven open for a long time while you're putting all those small little bakes in and out of the oven, and that's not a good idea to keep the temperature consistent. You know, Andrea, speaking of new gadgets in your kitchen, have I told you about my cake tester that I recently treated myself to? What? No. So for years, I have just been relying on a skewer or a toothpick, right? Wooden, disposable, throw it away. Yeah. And I recently saw the most adorable little metal cake tester, and it says cake and a little heart at the top, and I love it, and it is reusable, and... I'm going to put it in the picture for my loaf cake when we post this episode because I love it. It was, you know, four pounds or something. It's sometimes the littlest things that just tickle you. You know, it's so funny that you're finally telling me about this because listeners, Stefan and I send each other photos when we're done with our bakes. So that's how we know, you know, we finished and we're ready to record and talk about it. And I think it was last fall with the pear pie was the first time I saw this little red heart on a skewer and I remember thinking oh she bought like a little prop for her photo and I've seen it in a couple of other things and it never occurred to me that it was a cake tester Mm. because I thought you would have needed wood I would have thought the metal I don't know maybe I I guess I would worry that it wouldn't have the raw dough cling to it but it sounds like it's working out great for you yeah it does I had that concern as well and that may have been my resistance kind of you know subconsciously to it but 
when I have tested things that aren't done, it's very obvious and same that when they are, it's it's clear to me. And I'm agreeing with the tester once I, you know, cut it open or or serve it. So I know it's so exciting. My gosh, we started the show with a mini language lab. Now you're sliding in a mini, mini gadget, gadget garage. garage. <laughs> My gosh. I made mini loaf. I mean, it's the mini episode. <laughs> Back to the pineapple coconut curry loaf. Now that I've talked about baking it, I want to talk about eating it. And I want to tell you that I did taste the raw batter. So I know some people don't like to do that because it's raw eggs, but I'm willing to take that risk. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, there are eggs in this. Okay, I wasn't sure. And I could not taste the curry at all in the raw batter. And I was really disappointed. It's only one teaspoon in the recipe. I chose a very fresh and flavorful curry. And so I thought about adding more. But at the last minute, I said, no, I'm just going to go with the recipe as written. I know that the listeners will appreciate that. And if it ends up not tasting like curry, then oh, well, now we know. Well, I'm really glad I did not follow my (laughs) instincts and uh, just toss in some more curry powder. Because oddly enough, although I didn't taste it in the raw batter, I definitely tasted it in the finished loaf. Okay, right. Yes. And that is so fascinating that you were talking about the curry not being at the front. I tasted the curry and the coconut really well in the finished loaf. What I didn't taste a lot of was the pineapple. How did that come through for you? Yep. No. Okay. The, yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> yep. yep, yep. <laughs> Same. Okay. The pineapple did not come through, which is fascinating because it was a whole cup of it. It was. Now, occasionally you come across a pineapple chunk. Now, that might not be so chunky if you were using the crushed, but since I did my own, it may have been a little bit more texture. And so that was nice, but I really Mm -hmm. think that pineapple was adding the moistness and not so much the flavor. So you know one thing I thought that might be nice for future bakes of this, Andrea? Remember when we talked about that dehydrated pineapple powder? Oh, yes. Wouldn't that be good? And folks, this is a very concentrated... You can either make your own using dehydrated pineapple chunks or flakes, or Mm -hmm. you can buy this, and it is very intense, very, very concentrated flavor. I think that would be really nice to play around with adding more pineapple. Because for me, the coconut and the curry came through just fine. The curry turned it that beautiful shade of yellow. This was a really pretty loaf, but I couldn't taste the pineapple, and I would have liked to. Such a great idea. Yeah. Well, you know, you never know until you bake it. If you had tossed it in up front, it might have been overwhelming. So I think that's a great idea for my next bake. The other thing I tried to do on this recipe was, as you have suggested to me in the past, was pack my patience. (laughs) And instead of eating a slice warm out of the oven, to wrap it in plastic wrap and let it sit out at room temperature overnight. And so I was so proud of myself. I decided to do this. But alas, I did not (laughs) listen to your instructions carefully enough. And I wrapped it in plastic wrap while it was still warm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I looked at it, I don't know, a couple of hours later, and it had all of those beads of condensation. Mm -hmm. It was sweating. I was trying not to say that word because (laughs) a sweating coconut curry loaf is not appetizing. But I thought to myself, gosh, darn it, you know, I immediately knew what I had done wrong. But I thought, oh, well, I'll just wait and 
try it tomorrow and see how it tastes. And so, unfortunately, texture-wise, mine was a bit gummy. Okay. But I am willing to completely take responsibility for that because of wrapping it in plastic wrap while it was still warm. How did your texture turn out? It's so funny. We have totally flip-flopped on this because, as you know, (laughs) yes, I make it an ironclad rule to always wrap up my banana bread, zucchini loaf, things like that. This really seemed more like cake to me. And so I had a slice hot out of the oven. Hot cake. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so jealous. I thought the texture was good, but it was it definitely for me veered cake. I would not call this a bread. I would I would call it a cake. I didn't think it was too sweet. You know, again, I would like more of that pineapple, but the color was great. I think it would be a really sweet, nice little addition to a tea, to a brunch. And it's just unusual enough to get people talking about it as well. Yeah, I thought the color was absolutely gorgeous. And I had the same thought. I thought it would be really fun with a themed dinner. You know, you think about the Hawaiian Kahlua pork. I know that's pretty popular in the Pacific Northwest. And I thought, oh, this would be a really fun dessert to serve with that. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on to this week's Bake Along, we have got some cinnamon sugar donut muffins from food blogger Amanda over at The Girl Who Bakes. And Stefan, have you ever made a donut muffin? Oh my gosh. Years ago, I made a donut muffin from Woman's Day magazine. And the thing that stopped me making them, Andrea, is they were so heavy. They were so heavy. And it's not something you'll often hear me say, listeners, that something is too rich or, you know, you can just have a little bit of this one. But mm-hmm. I was so excited because this recipe has some lighter techniques, and I'm really hoping that's going to make the difference for me. Yeah, that's what kind of jumped out at me about this recipe. I mean, first of all, the new twist was just the combination of a donut and a muffin. Yeah. So that was kind of exciting. The second thing, I always like it when a recipe has the option for standard size or mini. (laughs) And she lists right up front that this recipe will yield either a dozen standard side muffins or three dozen mini muffins. So you can go either way. And then as you mentioned, she has lightened up some of the ingredients. So it's got flour, baking powder, salt, nutmeg, and cinnamon, but then some unsweetened applesauce and some vegetable oil, sugar, a large egg, and some skim milk. So a little bit lighter with that applesauce and skim milk than I think you might typically see in a donut or a muffin. And I'm really glad she's doing that because then once the muffin is all said and done, hot out of the oven, you are dipping it in melted butter. So fear not, butter aficionados, you will be getting (laughs) your fix later on. You dip it in the hot butter and then dip it in cinnamon sugar. I think this is going to be really interesting Even with the oil that's in the batter, it's only one tablespoon. So it definitely is a lightened up version. It's only one egg. It's a three quarters of a cup of skim milks. I'm pretty excited about this one. And I think it's just got such a fall ring to it, that cinnamon sugar donut muffin. And the apples too. Yeah, donuts just have always screamed fall to me. I am Mm -hmm. really excited. Ironically, of course, although I made literally gallons of applesauce when I was home in the Northwest this summer... I'm going to have to buy my applesauce here. Oh, no. You didn't bring any back with you. You know, it's just kind of weird about importing home canned yeah. goods. I didn't want it to be confiscated. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth it. I get it. Anyway, I can find some in the stores. No problem. Andrea, will you have some homemade? Will you use some jarred? What are you thinking? I still have some homemade from the apples you gave me, so I will definitely use that. You know, this uh, dessert is going to be interesting for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm not actually a huge donut fan, which is shocking, but 
that's one of the few desserts I've just never really loved that much. That's why I'm excited about the idea of combining it with a muffin, which I do love. And the second thing is that it's baked instead of deep fried. So, I mean, that's super exciting and easy for me. And then, as you know, I'm not a huge cinnamon fan, but I've been kind of coming around on that. And I think, I know, I think especially it's seasonal. I do think in the fall, having cinnamon and apples and, you know, just sort of those fall flavors, it kind of jumps out at me and feels more festive and appropriate this time of year. And, you know, one thing I should mention on the notes for this recipe, someone had said, how are you making a donut without yeast? And so, of course, there's kind of two different kinds of donuts, right? There's a yeasted donut that you rise, and then there's a cake donut that you don't. And these are definitely the cake donut variety. Oh, and maybe that's why this I found more appealing. Yeah, the yeasted donuts that you rise and and then cook in the hot oil, that's where I'm just not really that tempted by those. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these fall classic. I'm I'm really excited. So cinnamon sugar donut muffins from The Girl Who Bakes. That and the pineapple coconut curry loaf from Bake From Scratch. We will have links to both of those recipes in the show sheets for this episode, which is episode 143, and in our Facebook listeners group. Can't wait. Andrea, here we are, already four weeks into September. I cannot believe how time is flying. I know. All month, we've been focused on back to school with our mini segments. Everything from sending kids off to school with new cooking habits, to making and shipping care packages, to the good old school lunch. And the all-important after-school snack. Yeah, we cannot forget that. And of course, it wouldn't be September without one more back-to-school staple, and that is... The the Bake bake Sale! sale. Now, I'm using the term bake sale, which implies fundraising, but of course I'm also including any sort of request you may get to bring baked goods to serve others. In my case, that usually means a teacher or a volunteer appreciation event. Stefan, my first question for you is around the terminology I'm using. Do you also call it a bake sale in London? Yes, that seems to be internationally known. Okay. Although here in London, the other popular title I hear is a coffee morning. So you might bring your bake sale items to the coffee morning. Ooh, I love a coffee morning. Mm, Right? (laughs) Okay. Well, now that we've got that sorted, let's talk about four steps for bake sale success. (laughs) And step one is the announcement because, of course, you need to generate excitement for two different groups of people. Number one, the people who like to bake And number two, the people who like to eat. Yeah. Social media has made this a lot easier. So, of course, we use Facebook, Instagram, or whatever electronic sharing tools you have on hand. It's also fun to create and post good old-fashioned flyers in the location where the bake sale will be held and also at other gathering spaces like your library, community centers, play areas, and the like. Now, step two, which is entirely optional, is to have a theme. Perhaps an all-chocolate bake sale, all cakes, maybe even sugar-free. Those might be a little tricky. Yeah, and that's why it's definitely an optional step. If you really do want a theme, you can make it easier on yourself and your participants and pick something like a theme based around color or the school mascot or a special holiday. Those might be a bit easier. And step three is to make it fun. So you can add a special competition or perhaps get an item baked by a local celebrity that you can auction off. Another way to make it fun is to remind people that they don't have to bake from scratch if that's not fun for them. Store-bought items or starting from a mix are totally okay when it comes to bake sales. Step four is to take photos. There's nothing like a shot of a gorgeous piece of cake to draw in supporters. 
or adorable children selling that beautiful cake. You can even create a hashtag on social media to get people to post their own pics and generate some excitement. Now that we've covered the how-tos, let's get into the really good stuff, what to bake. Stefan, you won't be surprised to hear there are some great bake sale cookbooks out there. Our beloved Good Housekeeping published one in 2009 called The Great Bake Sale Cookbook, 75 Surefire Fundraising Favorites, and Sandra Lee of Food Network fame has The Bake Sale Cookbook as well. Okay. One common theme in these books is making things that are easy to serve and package in individual portions. Think mini pies instead of a full pie or cupcakes instead of a cake. And of course, that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to serving. If you have children helping, it's much easier to have them grab a pre-wrapped item and hand it over than to cut a slice of pie. Oh, yeah. Now, on that topic of miniature desserts, listener Maggie had a great suggestion to start with a boxed cake mix, place a few tablespoons into a mini cupcake pan, and then pour frosting over them to create really cute mini cakes. I loved that idea. Me too. But if you don't want to go mini, you can head in the opposite direction and go big. Listener Nancy posted a recipe for some ultra-huge Rice Krispie treats, <laughs> while Nate Elisa posted a recommendation for Scotcheroos. Oh, those sound like fun. What are they? I just want to say that again. Scotcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> like it. And it looks like they're a version of a Rice Krispie treat with peanut butter in the cereal and a topping of chocolate and butterscotch chips. Ooh, that does sound amazing. I think there's often two types of buyers at bake sales. There's those people buying with their eyes and they go after the huge items. And then there's those people who want to support your event and your cause, but curb their calories and they appreciate the smaller items. So it is a really good idea to have a mix of both. Andrea, I know you loved this next recommendation the brownie i know my favorite the brownie it's portable packable and oh so delicious mary beth recommended ina garten's recipe i've made that one too it's a winner and grace liked the one from cooks illustrated yeah there's no shortage of great brownie recipes out there both grace and karen recommended the ever popular quick bread zucchini banana carrot whatever's growing that you need to use up so you can usually throw it into a quick bread I myself like serving these as individual loaves for a bake sale. I use mini paper loaves that are basically three by one and a half, and they hold 50 grams of batter. So I can typically get about seven to eight mini loaves from one quick bread recipe. Our school often requests items that are gluten-free or nut-free, and listener Joshua posted a treat that fits both requests, coconut macaroons. Yum. Another thing about coconut macaroons that is helpful is that they can be made ahead and stored at room temperature. Are they perhaps the perfect bake sale treat? <laughs> as long as you like coconut. Oh, right. But I, <laughs> but I think cookies are one of the most popular bake sale items loved by kids and parents alike. Oh, yes. Listener Karen recommended the classic chocolate chip cookie, while Rachel suggested chocolate chip meringues. And then Jen said that any type of cookie with candies in it goes fast. It brought to mind a cookie that I make with miniature M&Ms. And I love Jen's suggestion to use leftover Halloween candy. That's a great idea. I know. Waste not, want not. One of our 19 for 19 resolutions. That's so true. Andrea, perhaps the most interesting recommendation from the preheaters was something called, wait for it, puppy chow. Yeah, I had never heard of this one until Elizabeth recommended it. It sort of sounds like a pumped up Chex Mix. 
Yeah, this was huge with my daughter a few years ago, so I've made a few batches in my time. Okay. You can also call it by its other name, Muddy Buddies. I'll include a link in the show notes to an article I found with five different variations. From caramel apple to PB&J, this versatile snack mix could be your next big bake sale contribution. Listeners, if you're in our preheated Facebook listeners group, you can search for the term bake sale and find a slew of recommendations that the preheaters have posted over the last three years. Loyal listener Lydia posted some fantastic confetti cookies and Canadian butter tarts. Ruth made the pumpkin bunt cake from episode one, yay, which she adapted for a bake sale by using a mini bunt pan and skipping the icing. Sprinkles are definitely a favorite at bake sales, I have noticed. Listener Heather posted a beautiful chocolate cake with sprinkles she did with just one day's notice, and that one still sticks in my mind. To wrap up our bake sale thoughts, please do remember that so many people have food restrictions and allergies that it's really important to label your food and ingredients. For example, someone may not know that Scotcheroos contain peanut butter, so you should label that one accordingly. And I found that having at least a few vegan options is also really appreciated these days. Yes, and be sure to request items that don't require refrigeration and abide by any other local health codes that you need to follow. Remember, a safe bake sale is the best bake sale. And thanks to all of our listeners who contributed bake sale contributions. If you didn't hear us mention your name, don't worry. We have still taken your suggestions to heart, and we probably just got your suggestion after recording. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week, we'll find out if muffins and donuts are a match made in heaven or best left on their own. We'll also wrap up the month of September with a special fifth Monday bonus episode where we award a blue ribbon to the dessert we just can't stop eating and talking about this month. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.